Our scripture passage today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was, going, he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not, yet, was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but that if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come now to God's word, we need his help, so let us begin with a word of prayer. Gracious, merciful, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that it can instruct us, reprove us, comfort us, guide us. Lord, we need your spirit to illuminate it to our hearts, to give us ears to hear that we might be able and willing to submit to it. Give us this help, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we come now to the end of John's Gospel, we have been making our way through now for about a year and a half. And these are the closing words that John has for us in his account. This interchange between Jesus and Peter, and the kind of self-disclosure at the end, the one whom Jesus loved, he reveals, has been him. He is the one who has written these things down. And he's written these things down, these specific things, right? He says there's so many things that Jesus said and did. If we wrote them down, not even the world itself could contain the books that would need to be written. But John wrote all of these things down for us. 
And as we look at these closing words from John's gospel, it really gets us to two things. It gets us to the motivation that we ought to have as people who follow Jesus Christ. And it also gives us a very specific mission. At least a very specific mission for Peter. As Peter finishes this breakfast on the side of the Sea of Galilee, if you remember last week, they were waiting for Jesus to come back. They didn't know what to do with themselves, so they went out fishing and they caught nothing. And then Jesus yells from them to them from the shore, the break of dawn, asked them if they caught any fish, and they said no. They didn't know it was the Lord, and he told them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat. And there was this miraculous catch. 153 large fish. And they ate together on the shore, fish and loaves. The third revelation of Jesus, the risen Christ to his disciples. Apparently breakfast had ended. And it appears Jesus and Peter and the disciples are on a walk away from this spot. And Peter gets this one-on-one moment with Jesus. He gets asked this question three times. Do you love me? The first time he's asked this question, we're told in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now there's a little bit of ambiguity into what Jesus is referring to here. More than these. What are the these? There's a little bit of debate as to what he's referring to, but... uh, I think the most straightforward reading of this is, do you love me more than these other men? You see, Peter has always been this outspoken, quick to action, never, well, verbally never denying the Lord, at least until it really mattered. Jesus had told Peter he was going to deny him, and Peter said, it would never happen. I would follow you to the death. Simon has been overconfident as he has followed Jesus, as he has made these professions of faith, as he has lived and walked with Jesus. And so he asks him, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these men? Now there's some semantic things here that some people think are more important than they ought to be, and that is the words used for love. If you're familiar with these categories, perhaps you've read about them in a book. C.S. Lewis in particular talks about them and his loves. There are three types of loves in the New Testament that we always translate to the same word, love. First is eros, which is the love between A husband and a wife, uh, erotic is where we get that word from, often has a sexual connotation to it. The other is phileo, which is like a brotherly love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. It's rooted on that same word. And of course, it might be a word that you've heard most often in churches. It might even be the name of a church you visited, which is agape. This is most often the 
word used to describe God's love for his people. His agape love for his people. Steadfast love. This is how Jesus starts. And John uses agape and phileo, brotherly love and God's love. He uses them interchangeably throughout his gospel and in his letters. So we don't want to get too much into it in terms of making these distinctions that maybe you have seen or heard along the way. But Jesus asks him, do you love me with brotherly love, with the love of God? He will use both of these as he asks him. Do you truly love me, Simon? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Earlier, Peter didn't seem to think Jesus knew everything. And Jesus had to correct him and called him Satan and to get behind him. Because he didn't know what he was talking about. And now Peter has changed. Peter has gone through the process of following Jesus, having seen his denial. And now Peter has changed his tune. He says, yes, Lord, of course, you know, you know that I love you. Jesus gives him a very simple command, feed my lambs. He says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? It's a similar feeling you might get when somebody asks you the same thing over and over again. You might begin to think that they don't believe you, and that's why they're continuing to pester you with the same question. This is what Peter is concluding, that the Lord isn't believing his profession. It's shameful to be asked three times, why wouldn't Jesus believe him? And Peter makes his emphatic You know me even more, robust, saying, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. It's this simple call of what Peter is called to do. Because of his love for Jesus. There are many motivations for why we do the things we do in our lives. Peter, no doubt, had motivations for why he was so outgoing and eager to jump into things. Some of them are good. Others are not as good as the rest. But central to this passage, as you see it, time and time and time again, pointed to Simon Peter here, is the motivation of love. We 
and the simple command that Peter is going to be a shepherd. He is going to be the pastor of Jesus' sheep. They won't be Peter's sheep. They will belong to the Lord. And the only way that he ought to serve them is out of a heart of love for Jesus. Notice he doesn't tell Peter to love goats also. He doesn't tell him to love his own sheep. He doesn't tell him to do much of anything except to be faithful to the simple task of caring for those people that are so dear to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Peter is going to continue to be a leader in the church, especially in Jerusalem. And he has this one mission, and he is to feed God's people. He's supposed to teach them his word, to encourage them, to care for them, to protect them, just as Jesus had done before them. Jesus is entrusting his sheep to this man, Peter, and he needs him to do it out of gratitude and love. Because it's not going to be easy. Jesus goes on to tell him in verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you could dress yourself and you walk wherever you want. You could be that outgoing, rambunctious Peter who just does and says anything he wants. But Jesus prophetically tells him that he is going to be crucified. This phrase of stretching out your hands. John gives us a little clue that this is the kind of death he was to glorify God through. And if Peter is being called to feed his sheep, and this is going to be the result that he too is going to be crucified like Jesus was, his motivation had to be right. Because if he was doing it out of any sort of success or self-fulfillment, at the time when the persecution got too strong, you know he would collapse. There is no greater motivation that will cause you to be able to endure through hardship than love. Any other motivation will always have its limits. It's interesting that as Jesus asks Peter this question, he asks him three times. The same number of times that Peter was asked whether or not he belonged to the Lord or was a Galilean and denied him three times. And so it is somewhat humiliating for Peter to be questioned in this way, and yet it is a reversal of that great confession the great denial being undone. That at such a weak, little interrogation from a servant girl outside of the high priest's house, just wondering if he was a Galilean, Peter cracked. And Jesus is telling him, you must love me in a way that is going to allow you to persevere even to death on a cross. Peter is told to do two things. First, he is told to feed, 
And here at the end of verse 19, Jesus tells him that he is to follow. Follow me. Feed my sheep. Follow me. Peter, you are going to be crucified. Follow me. Oftentimes, people who we love are also the people whom we must trust. They are intrinsically linked. And as Jesus is calling Peter to feed his sheep and to follow him into this horrific future, Peter must understand that his love for Jesus, his trust for him, is that it is going to be okay even though it will not end well in this life. That following Jesus is going to lead to this end, and yet that he is in control. That Jesus, too, also loves him, and that in his love for him, this is going to come about. That he has appointed this fate for Peter to endure. The high calling of being the leader of the church in Jerusalem wasn't one of accolades and fame and riches. It was one of suffering. of ridicule, of rejection, of following in the path of the Lord who was rejected and spat upon and ultimately executed. So it will be for Peter and all of the apostles in the days that were to come. Peter hears these words that Jesus says about how he is to die, and I'm sure he was troubled. And like many of us would do, we want to compare ourselves and our circumstances and our lot in life to other people. And he sees John back there. He's like, well, what about that guy? What's going to happen to him? Jesus says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. The calling of Jesus in Peter's life was specific, it was personal, it was unique to Peter. God's calling on all of our lives is unique and specific to each one of us. Even people within the same household will have to endure different things. And it is so easy for us to think about how God has orchestrated these things and to judge his judgments as unfair. Well, he didn't have to go through that. He has a successful job. She didn't have to lose those things. Why me? Other people will have different fates than Peter. Other people will have different fates than you. You might live a prosperous life with very little hardship. You may, like we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world each week, have to endure the most horrific hardships. God loves his children equally. He has ordained those things specifically, and he has given the grace and love and mercy for his people to endure them. 
as they need it. We ought not to be concerned with other people's plights or successes or failures or comparing one another's greatness. Jesus says, don't worry about John. Look, he could live forever. It wouldn't matter because what I have called you to is for you, Peter. Follow me. You follow me. Of course, we know that John does not live forever, that Peter is not the only one to die a horrific martyr's death for naming the name of Christ. Indeed, uh, tradition has it that Peter was crucified. In fact, he was crucified and was tipped upside down and hung that way to his death. Many of the other disciples died equally horrific deaths. It's a question that we all wrestle with when we face hard times. And that is what Jesus is preparing Peter and really all of his disciples and you and I for today. That when trials come, that when tribulation happens, that when suffering is present in our lives, when we begin to doubt God's love for us, What is our answer? And the first is that we can't compare ourselves to other people. It's one of the great reversals in the new covenant that the poor and the needy and the lame and the blind are made children of God. And the rich and the powerful and the religious leaders are shamed and brought low. That God exalts the humble and humbles the exalted. That the tax collector, as he prays in the temple, is deemed righteous, while the Pharisee is hypocritical and goes away without being justified. Jesus' commandments are simple. For Peter and the disciples and all of the shepherds and pastors that are to come after him, it is this call to feed God's people, to care for his sheep, to not merely give them milk, as Paul would say, but to give them the full meal and menu of God's word, instructing and correcting and reproving and encouraging And reminding God's people with his word, his sacrament, and the power of prayer, and fellowship of one another together in one flock. And to individually follow after Jesus. You follow me. This image of suffering is not unique to Peter. It is not unique to the apostles. It is not unique to John's gospel. It is one of the most pervasive themes in all of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 16, as Jesus is telling his disciples, 
If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Sure, you're familiar with that verse. And as the Apostle Paul is converted on the road to Damascus, the Lord speaks to Ananias and says that Paul is going to be his appointed apostle to the Gentiles, this privileged position to go and to plant churches all around the dispersion. He tells Ananias, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Wow, what a great thing to sign up for, right? I want to be an apostle. We know Paul's life. Imprisonment, beatings, stonings. The act of ministry is an act of suffering. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul himself reminds us, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's fine that I'm suffering. I don't care that I'm in jail. I don't mind the wounds on my back because I know the glory of the one whom I love, who loves me, that is waiting for me. It is waiting for us. Paul tells the Philippian church, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but that you also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had. The comfort to the Philippians is that they are suffering just like Paul was suffering. It is, they've been counted, granted the rights to not only believe, but also to suffer. Suffering is something we are not well acquainted with in our time and in our country. We, for the most part, have it pretty easy. And that's often to our detriment. Because it does not cause us to need to be dependent. To need to long for the glory that is to come. Following Jesus is pretty easy. There's a feeding trough on every corner of every city in every state. But the reality of suffering is true, no matter how intense it may or may not be. We may be averse to it. We may avoid it as much as we can. But it is one of the marks of following after Jesus. And he is preparing Peter, he is preparing you and me that there is only one thing that can cause us to endure, and that is by having a true agape, filio love for Jesus. Being able to follow him into suffering, being able to do the mundane every day, tending to his sheep. Pretty quick in the book of Acts, you see that people are divided, people are fighting. Why does Paul write to all of the churches in the New Testament? Because they're all messed up sinners. If they wanted an easy job, they'd go back to being fishermen. But Jesus has called them to follow him. 
It is what he wants all of those whom he loves to do. To have hearts of love for him that causes them to get caught up in where he is going. Maybe you aren't called to feed sheep like a pastor or like an apostle. But if you are a mother or a father, you have little lambs in your home and Jesus is calling you to feed them. If you have friends and co-workers and extended family members, we are to go out and to feed them. We are to remain faithful in the face of things that disagree with the word that we are feeding to Christ's sheep. We are to even feed ourselves as we have God's word given to us in such an amazing way in our day and age. In the early church, these codex type Bibles where they put books together written on animal skins, were so expensive they would have a chain through them and they were locked to the pulpit at the church. We must feast on God's word. We must feed it to the lambs with one another as we come to God because of our love for him. Indeed, the day may come when the things that we profess to be true, the words that we proclaim like Peter did at the day of Pentecost, will not be well received. To make truthful claims about Jesus and God and salvation and sin, let alone all of the petty little things that our culture fights about today that go against God's word. It will be hard. And the only way we will endure is if we truly love our Lord and know that anything that stands before us, any momentary suffering that we may face as we follow him, it can't be compared to the glory that is to come. It's a foreign topic I feel for myself. Very little have I lost for following Jesus. Very few words that I speak are responded with vitriol of those around me. Never have I feared for my life or my well-being for following Jesus. The time when John lived, the time when Jesus said these things. This was the hour that they needed to know that they loved the Lord. They needed his love so deep in their hearts that they could follow him into what was to come next. To take on his ministry through the work of the Spirit and follow in the same fate as the suffering servant. John's gospel, the word gospel, is good news. He has written these things down so that we would believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him we would have life in his name. But when we have life in his name, when we come to believe, it changes everything. 
We have a unique calling. We have a unique mission. We have a unique circumstance, each one of us, that the Lord has called us to. Where we must follow him, despite whatever the outcome may be. Praise God, we don't have to suffer in the way that Peter had to suffer. But it is instructive for us to not merely get on with Jesus being kind of our friend over there. Are we captivated by the glory that is to come? If Jesus came up to us and asked us three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He would know our hearts. Maybe we couldn't say yes. Maybe we need that initial work now in our hearts today. That it would be granted to us not only that we would believe in him, but that we would love him with a love that causes us to be sustained, to be bold, to not care about other people's circumstances, but that we would be so captivated by our love for our Lord that we would go wherever he calls us. No matter how mundane or how miraculous. It's a question we ought to ask ourselves regularly, even when we confess our sins each week. Do you love me? And when we are true to our own hearts, we probably more than often confess no. And we ask that the Lord would help us in our unbelief, help us in our wayward hearts, in our divided loves, and instead to be captivated by his spirit that would cause us to cry out, Abba, Father, like the love of a child for his parents, so it ought to be for his people. May God give us the grace to love him, to follow him into hardship, May he give us the grace to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, to weep with those who weep, and to not compare our circumstances to others, but instead to simply love and to stay the course as Jesus leads us on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us as your children, and that you forgive us when we don't love you as we ought. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be full of love. Lord, help us to not look to others and to wonder why our lives are different. Father, would you create in us a love for you that surpasses all of our other affections? It is the greatest need that we have. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.